So I want to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Matt Warren. I am uh, one of the elders here at the church. You met Michael, uh, who's also one of the elders, and then Steve was up here earlier. And I know that we have a couple guests with us today, and so I just want to say thank you for uh, choosing to worship with us this morning. I, I hope that you'll find our body is uh, a, a warm group of folks and uh, friendly in that sense, and that we will uh, also bless you through just the genuine nature of who we are in our community, uh, whether that just be where we are in transition with worship leaders right now, you just see us kind of plugging in. Uh, hopefully you'll find especially the teaching this morning as we really want to emphasize the importance of God's word that the teaching just would encourage you. Um, I am going to interrupt before I get into the message. And Katie, I'm going to ask you one thing. Can you just throw up the lyrics real quick? Just, I need to test something. Any lyrics? Uh, and, and so we should see a second. The confidence monitor, it, it's not working this morning. So is it on? It looks like it's on. So I say that. Hopefully I don't feedback here. Yeah, it's on. Um, Katie, if you could maybe noodle with the preferences. Um, I would love just to have the clock up. That's what I was trying to ask for earlier, is that we would just be able to... It, it, I, I think I've now turned it off, Jesse. Sorry. <laughs> Y'all didn't see the dirty look I got. <laughs> Sawyer, I'm praying for you. Rob, I'm praying for you differently. Is Rob and I'm teasing. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how your face is. <laughs> your, your face is lovely. That wasn't lovely. <laughs> I deserved it, Jesse. So um, thanks for troubleshooting this alike. Hey, we got lyrics. So we got clock. It may have been that was on the wrong input. Is that what it was? We don't know. Will, thanks for jumping in and fixing that too. I appreciate everybody hustling. Way to go. Everybody look at Jesse and just go, you're so lovely, and give her a round of applause. <laughs> I'm going to pay later. I'm going to pay later. <laughs> um, so we are back in the gospel of Matthew. Um, we've, we've been in that for like two years, and that's not uh, been a consistent week-to-week thing. We've obviously, over those two years, taken several breaks um, but what's, I think what's going to hopefully be really interesting for us is we're finishing up the, the Gospel of Matthew in the Passion Week um, is where we're picking up, which will carry us through uh, Easter this year. And so I'm excited about this uh, message today and, and as, as we look at this parable. We're going to be in Matthew 22 if you're, if you're taking your Bibles and looking at that. Um, this is one of those parables, like a lot of times the parables f- feel like, you know, there's even points where the disciples, they, they feel... Um, like they're, they're a struggle to understand. Even the disciples themselves wrestled with that, and they would ask Jesus, what do you mean? And he would go on to, you know, explain. And I, I, I don't think Jesus necessarily rolled his eyes, but I think there was probably some, uh, a little bit of exasperation with why they didn't get stuff, and they were um, slow at times. Um, if Jesus could express that, he was human, I, I would guess he would have some of those things, and not, not to be critical or ugly, but, you know, just, yeah, why, why guys? I mean, Um, So anyhow, this is a parable that's unlike those. This parable, I think, is so clear, but I think it also has some very subtle undertones that are in it that I I think the Lord just kind of dropped in my my heart and mind this week as as I was preparing, and I hope that they'll help to encourage you uh, wherever you are in your your walk of life and faith life especially. Um, And I'm going to share this just a a little bit on the front end too, um, because as, as we look at this parable, and, and it's the parable of the wedding feast, this is probably, like, has a little bit different perspective for me right now, 
because my daughter just got married in May of last year, and my son is about to get married in, in June of this year. And so sitting here um, as kind of this uh, authority figure in the midst of the wedding uh, and all the celebrations that go on with that, I, I was able to like look at this as just a little different lens, um, very practically. And I don't want I'm going to make a couple comments about my family life, but I hope that doesn't drive us, okay? But I think it does also maybe just because it gave me some fresh insight. Hopefully it'll help all of us as well. Okay, so um, let's do this. Let's, let's read the text uh, and that'll help us get into this. So Matthew 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into, out, out, into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen." Well, I think it's pretty clear that when we look at this parable, and this is why I think it's such a, a powerful one, but it needs little, if any, explanation about who each character represents. It's, it's pretty obvious that the king represents our heavenly father, that the son represents Jesus, that the bride would be, I think, the church, and then you have all this, these things about the guest, and, and really that's pointing to the importance of salvation and our response to the gospel message and what the king does. But I, I want to draw out some uh, I think hopefully some really important conclusions this morning about things. And the first is this, uh, and, and I'm going to share this really quick perspective. Uh, some of you guys, I've, uh, especially younger dads uh, of boys, I've recommended this book over the years. Several years ago, we had a group of guys go through this. It's called Raising a Modern Day Night by Robert Lewis. Um, what he does, he's, he was a pastor in um, a fellowship church in Little Rock, Little Rock Arkansas. And one of the things that, that he and some, several of his friends noted is how in the, the American culture especially, we tend not to include a lot of ceremony in our children's lives. And ceremonies really benefit us, okay? So they, they kind of help us mark moments where we've made progress through something. That's why even now, and I'm, I'm not saying anything negative or positive about it, but we have kindergarten graduation. Like, I, didn't, I don't think I remember graduating from kindergarten. I remember somewhat of a big deal make, being made about my sixth grade. That was before middle school, so it was elementary, was through sixth grade. Um, and certainly you have high school graduation and college graduations and all those things, right? Uh, for Jewish culture, what do they celebrate for, for boys? Uh, bar mitzvah, right? And I think there's even a, a girls, like a celebration for girls. I know in Hispanic culture, there's, there's the... I'm not going to say it right, so I'm not going to even try it. 
thank you for rolling your R or attempting to. Um, there's all, so we have those things in our lives. I, 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 my, my nephew, this week, he showed a picture of his uh, learner's permit, right? That he got that. We celebrate these things. For Christian, we've done some things over the years. And so at his rehearsal dinner, I want to issue a final blessing for him and give him a, a special gift that kind of marks this finality of his journey from a, a young adulthood to adulthood where he's establishing his own family. And, and I think that that, that point is, is part, partially why it's playing in my head is I want to honor Christian because he's walking with the Lord. He's being blessed by God in his endeavors. That doesn't mean he's perfect, okay? Please believe me. I know my kids. They are Warrens through and through. So they, they've got too much of my family's genetics, and they are the little sinners, and now they're big sinners. Um, so... I'm not saying he's perfect, but what I am saying is I want to bless him and encourage him in that blessing to move forward. And here's what the Lord says, uh, in, or John records in, in John 5, 23, that the Father wants us to understand this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. See, the, the wedding celebration is not about me. It's not about Katie. It's about Christian and Anna Grace. That, that we would honor how the Lord has brought them together and the, the blessings that we've seen in their lives as they've, they've matured and grown in Him. And we want to send them off with that kind of honor to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now keep going. The race is not finished. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. And, but, but it's an honoring to them in such a way that they know that they have been richly blessed. And what does that do ultimately for us? It does kind of say, hey, we, we, we did the best that we could in that season of our lives to parent him. And believe me, believe me, we, we share this. It is by God's grace that our kids are where they are, honestly, okay? But, but at the same time, this, that's an earthly picture of a heavenly one, okay? You get that when, I, when I'm pointing over here, I'm saying the Bible, the Scripture, who the King of Kings is and his Son is. And Jesus is the one who is to be honored for all the things that he's done. Why do we want to give honor to, to the King or to the Son? Two reasons. Whew. He's our Savior. Mm. Sinful as we are, that God gave us Christ to save us from our sins, to redeem us, that we might have a relationship with our Heavenly Father in eternity forever. That is worth honoring Jesus. And then get this. He's our bridegroom. I, I can't emphasize that enough today. We, we have kind of a different perspective about weddings in our culture today. Who tends to, to be the, 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 like, gain the limelight in the wedding? The bride does, right, Debbie? Yeah. And, and it's like all eyes on her. We even kind of hear this from brides in their preparation. We, and, and the phrase that we have is bridezilla. Yeah, it, it, that it's her day, right? And, and this struck me um, as I was preparing the sermon. Uh, if you, if you know anything about my son, you'll remember this, but I'm going to give everybody the details real quick, long story short. But when he graduated from college, he decided to go live with his aunt and uncle in Washington State. It's Katie's youngest sister, her husband. They have four kids, and Christian went to work out there for a year in, in a physical therapy clinic and spent that year in their home with them, just like becoming part of their family. And I don't think it was probably two weeks in um, that Christian, we, we heard this little phrase, he became the brother cousin. <laughs> they didn't introduce him as the cousin. They, they grew so quickly connected to him 
that, that he was their brother first, even. Not cousin-brother, but brother-cousin. And I just thought that was so interesting. Well, here's, here's the next part of the story. Um, so th- they, Christian and, and Anna Grace started dating while they were, uh, he was in Washington State. So a lot of it was FaceTime and uh, doing those kind of like texting and all that kind of stuff that students do you know, nowadays for free in one sense because they don't have long distance bills. It's all packaged in the phone. Y'all get it. But anyhow, Baze is what grade? Second or third grade now? And so she, cute little blonde-headed girl. She loved Christian. Um, when she finally like heard about Christian proposing to Anna Grace and they hadn't met, she said something along these lines. This girl must be so lucky for Christian to choose her. And, and like that is precious. Because normally we would say the other way around, right? But because of that intimacy in their relationship, she saw Anna Grace as the lucky one. Folks, as I thought about that little girl's like innocent, precious, uh, intimate feelings about Christian that were expressing that, I couldn't help but think, I'm the lucky one that Christ chose me. That, that because of who I am, I don't deserve any relationship with Christ and my Heavenly Father. I have broken any hope of that because of my sin, because I, of who I am in my flesh apart from Christ. There's nothing good in me. But through the grace extended to us by our Heavenly Father, to, through Christ, we then have this incredible opportunity to be the bride but to make the most of the bridegroom because we are unworthy. I I think we lose that dimension and that paradigm in our current culture and the air and way we look at weddings. And I just couldn't help but but frame that picture because ultimately the the heavenly father and Jesus, the, the prince, are made the most of in this parable. And I think we need to remember that when we think about the benefit and the, 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 the hope and the calling that we have in our salvation. It's precious. And in that, folks, what it means is we ought to make the most of Christ. Because the only reason we're a lovely bride, the only reason that anyone would turn and look at us, is because we've been purchased by His blood. We could stop right there, couldn't we? But there's a whole lot more rich stuff in here, so we're going to get to keep going. Um, so, oh, uh, let me... Let me emphasize this too. When you go to a wedding and, you, and you're really close to the couple, and I think this, is, this comes about in this, this parable, isn't there a great joy in watching that covenantal union established? And we as those participants, honestly, ought to weigh in on that joy. And I think that's what's so precious about the audience that's attending the wedding feast. I think there's a genuine joy because they know they're not worthy. They, they and, and we, we'll get to here in a minute, but remember they're described as bad and good. Okay, there's nothing really good in and of themselves. It, it, it's that the Father just said, let me invite you. You're really not the ones worthy, but I'm going to make you worthy. I'm going to provide the garments. I'm going to make you enjoy this feast because I desire that you're here. So here's what I want to do. Um, by the way, I, I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of, of giving titles to my message. Um, this one hopefully is a little fun. Um, it's not your normal costume party, okay? And you'll see it's, it's not a costume party per se, but it is. We always dress up for weddings at some level, right? So this is not your normal costume party. 
And um, so I want to begin by giving the structure. And this, if you're taking notes, this will be kind of the three points. So you might spread these out. Um, and that way you can take uh, some notes underneath each point. Um, so the first section that we see is where Jesus addresses um, the guest who rejected the invitation of the king. That's in verses technically 2 through 8, because verse 1 is just an introduction. But verses 2 through 8 is where the, uh, the guest who received invitations in a very timely manner were, uh, like, the, evidently the king heard that they were not responding and preparing themselves to come to the wedding. And so he reaches out, and we see the, the details of how they've been rejected. The second point that we're going to look at is this, uh, in the second section, is that uh, there's these newly invited guests, and we're going to look at and see what the Lord does and how they respond and, and those kind of things. And then the third is what is the proper requirement um, it, to uh, participate in the feast? What is the proper requirement to participate in the feast. So let's, let's look at the first section. I think there's three truths inside of this, okay? First is there was an invitation to attend the wedding feast, but there were those that refused to attend, okay? So let's just look back at this really quick, verses 2 through 8. It says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave the wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call, all, to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So I don't think this is at the last second he's doing this. I think he must have heard, hey, people aren't like really preparing. They're not setting aside their, their opportun the opportunity and the, the making this a priority. Okay, because he said in verse 4, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. Now, I think that's kind of the last second. So, so then what happens is that these folks in verse 5 says, they, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. What a picture. Now, here are the, here the, the key things of this uh, section, okay? First, those that uh, received the invitation refused to attend. They, they did this, unfortunately. They made a lot of excuses. They saw everything else in their life as a higher priority than, than honoring the king and his son, which is the key thing that they ought to have been doing. How did the king respond? This would be the second thing. If you notice this, he didn't bring his judgment to start with. How did he actually respond to them? He gave a second invitation, right? And, and in some ways, even a third, because he, it's like, hey, they didn't respond. Then it's like, well, wait a second. And so much so was he so gentle and so gracious and patient and long-suffering that ultimately they killed the servants. Some of them killed the servants of the king. Now, I, I want to make a, a quick comment here. When they killed the, the servants of the king, that is as if they were showing exactly what they felt or thought about the king himself. Don't let that be lost. Because they represented the king and their attitude and their actions and everything about how they responded was not to the servants. It's ultimately to the king himself. How arrogant, how brazen, how rebellious, how uh, hard-hearted they actually were should not be lost on us this morning. So, it's in the, and that would into this third idea in, in this truth is that they 
were, they just ultimately despised the king and were hostile to him. Folks, that's every one of us at some point in our life. You may say, well, I'm a believer and follower of Christ. Yes, you are. You may be now. But prior to that, you were probably, well, scriptures tell us, you were at enmity with him. You were hard to him. And we need to recognize that that, that is the potential or was who we are. And that is possibly who people around you in your life are still. That they're hardened to the things and the truths of the gospel and the hope that Christ offers. And we need to understand that. And we need to uh, uh, make sure that we're emphasizing the grace that is found in Christ. To, to take to them the love and the good news of Jesus so that they can find hope when there is no hope. But there's going to be a point, and Jesus talks about this, where we do so much and then what do we have to do? If they don't respond, we have to move on. The gospel actually tells us, the scripture tells us, to dust off our feet because they've not responded. Can I encourage you with an important truth? It is not your responsibility ever to convince someone of the gospel. You may say, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. I don't want to convince someone. I want to share the truth. I want to tell them to open the scriptures and let let them see the truth of the gospel. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who takes the Scripture, and He is the one that convicts them of their sin and convinces them them of their need for Christ. My responsibility is to present the truth and then ask for a response. Because if I convince them, guess what? There's going to be somebody else that comes along and, and unconvinces them. If I convict them, someone else will come along and justify them. But if that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the convincing and the convicting, the Holy Spirit will not be defeated. So I just call, I present the truth and call for that response. And and that's our our responsibility, our duty unto Christ, okay? So the second section um, is is this that looks at those who responded to the invitation. So let's pick up in verse uh, 9. Go therefore to the main, so he he comes back to other servants and he says, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So let's stop right there. So as I was studying this, there were two words that uh, are two groups of words that that jumped out to me. The first is the word gathered. Um, I looked that up in in, uh, the Greek and started looking at other references of where that that word was used. It's actually used when uh, when discussing or talking about fishermen gathering their nets. And I thought that was a great, interesting word picture right there. It's as if the servants went out, cast the net into the community, and they gathered these people up. So so here's my point to, to what that looks like. That is not them just saying, hey, come on. It's them engaging in life with these people. So it's not like they, they walked out and said, hey, will you come to the, to the wedding with me? And the person said, yeah, I'll see you down there. It's almost like they, they said, yeah, I'd love to go. Well, come on. It's like they put their arm around them or they linked arms or however they did it in that culture back then. I, I, don't, I don't know all the pictures. But you see, they were engaged in the relationship itself. So that they were, the, the people were not just passively saying, oh, yeah, we'll come. But they were in, there was this encouragement for them to be involved in the wedding feast. And I think that's a great picture for us in our evangelistic efforts, too. Is that we don't just hail it out. We spend time 
you know, like we don't just speak it once, but we spend time getting and walking with people in the course of their life so that we can be influential in the encouragement to respond to the gospel. Again, they're not providing convincing or conviction. conviction. They're just encouraging them along the way. Ultimately, the people had to respond. So the second uh, interesting word picture is this. Um, it's the idea of them being both bad and good. Now, in our kind of, I, I guess, normal speech, when we think about speaking of good and bad people, we usually say it in that order, right? Good and bad. Like, the, it's, it's even maybe the old movie reference, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thank you. Somebody knew it. Okay. That, was that you, Brian? Way to go, man. Um, thanks for shouting out loud enough for me to hear, too. Um, I'll you one. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's our tendency. So I think there's also something about putting those words in that order. And remember, Greek word order does uh, also emphasize some things. So here the picture is that it's the bad and the good, that there's nothing in these folks that really earns or deserves their presence at the wedding. So now th this is where I think this even gets more interesting. Um, and, and I want to go to the wedding feast itself for just a moment. So we imagine, we, and, and this is where we got to put a couple things together here. So these people that have been encouraged to come, gathered up, the bad and the good, they've been given these wedding garments and they're now sitting at the feast. And, and I would say that, and I don't know at what point the ceremony and the official uh, aspect or, or point of the couple saying their vows and, and being in, in that covenant relationship occurs, I would imagine it's before the feast though. Because I would imagine that the king comes in after all of that's uh, happened, and he's now kind of freed up to check on, on his guest, okay? But here's, what, here's what's interesting to me, and, I, and I'm going to put it in our modern context too. If, if we were holding a wedding up here today, and you were friends or are, are familiar with the couple, you would also, and especially in the ceremonies that I uh, try to encourage Christian couples especially to engage in, um, is that they would have their family uh, actually say a vow about their willingness to uphold that covenant that they're going to pray for and encourage th that couple throughout their lives. And I would also say that same very thing to the entire congregation that's gathered. Because the wedding is not just about walking through the wedding itself. The wedding is an official covenant made before the Lord that we are as, uh, as uh, members in the congregation in that time of worship and acknowledging the covenant relationship uh, and, and what it points to in, in Christ and, and his involvement with the couple's life, we are also all responsible for upholding that covenant. And I would say this, especially if that couple are, are members of a church, that church, that, that we would engage and make sure that they're walking in integrity and uprightness and holiness in their marriage. And when they have conflict, we wouldn't let them go. We would instead step in and give them wisdom and counsel and, and prayer and those kind of things, okay? Now, all of that to say, as a family, of, of a body of believers, we're participants in that wedding. We're not just passive observers. Now, what does this mean as well. So let, let, me, let me take this picture from Christian and Anna Grace and Little Bays for just a minute. When Christian and Anna Grace say I do, and they're officially married, and 
then she becomes Mrs. Christian Warren. Bays then has the opportunity to treat Anna Grace differently, right? And, and I, I think about this. It's, it's not just that Christian was lucky, now she's also lucky. I mean, it's not that she was lucky, that they're both you know, blessed. I don't want to use the lucky word to overly extend here, but you get the picture. They're blessed together in this union. And then how, does, how ought Bayes to treat Anna Grace from then on? That, that she's one with Christian. And that, that the union has produced something incredibly distinct and different. Now, let me paint this picture real quickly. So imagine for a minute this bride married to the prince walking through the marketplace in that culture. She's uh, seeing how do you think the people, the witnesses, ought to treat her in that marketplace. I would think that they ought to be highly respectful of her because who, who is she? She's the precious bride of the bridegroom of the king, right? She ought to be one that when they see her in the marketplace, how can we engage with you? If she asks someone to do something while she's in the marketplace, they ought to, to say, yes, how can I honor you? Because ultimately, by honoring you, I'm honoring the prince and honoring the king, right? You, you follow my illustration. Now, let's put it in real practical terms. If the bride of Christ is who? The church? How ought we to treat the church, the bride of Christ, the prince, the son of the king. Folks, I'll be honest. I think so many times in our culture today, people are flippant about the church. They don't treat her with deep respect. They, they don't treat the family of God who we comprise the bride of Christ. We, we don't respect, we don't respond. Instead, it's like we, we try to avoid, we try to minimize our investment. It's like seeing that bride in the marketplace and going, oh, I, I hope she doesn't ask me anything, and we like scurry away to a hidden spot, like try to hide behind a booth, try, you know, a curtain at another booth, trying to, to get away so she doesn't ask us anything. And our commitment to her reflects how we really feel about the king and his son. And, and I'm going to say this, ultimately, if we operated in that second way where we avoid the bride and we try to hide and we try not to have any responsibility with her, ultimately what we're doing is we're walking in subtle rebellion, which is still rebellion. And we need to be careful that we would make the most of the bride of Christ because she represents Christ himself. And as we do that, we put on display our commitment, our love. And, and I'm going to go back to what I think happens in this, the joy that we ought to experience in relationship with the Father and the Son as we attend the wedding. And that's, that's such a, I think... A, it's a subtle thing that's there in the text, but I think it's there. And I think we have this great responsibility to honor the Lord with all we have as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling that we would make the most of the church, his bride. Now, we're at the third section now. So what about what makes us worthy to attend? What, what is the requirement for us being uh, there at the wedding? It's just 
go simple in the text. It's well, let's read this. Um, verse. Let's pick up in verse uh, eleven. Okay. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Now, I I think this is important for us to to recognize. I don't think that any of the people that were at the the wedding feast had gone out and bought their own wedding garments. I don't think they had time. they, They weren't folks that were given that first invitation to go and prepare. They were bad and they were good. But I think they were also probably considered to be the less clean, the, the, the less worthy in that culture. And so just by, I don't think they had to necessarily go scrub up and, and get their hair done and all sorts of things. I just think that they, as they were gathered in, they were, as they were entering, they, they were uh, into the feast, they were given this wedding garment, they put the wedding garment on, and that was their ticket in. And it was them saying, I, sur- I surrender to the, 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 the king's desires. I'm going to be presentable as he desires today. But this one man, he somehow, he slips in and he doesn't put on the wedding garment. I don't know if he refused. We don't, we don't know that. We don't know if he took it and just set it on his lap. You know, it, it just kind of said, you know, whatever, I'm just not putting it on, but I'm going to be present. So I, I think we need to understand this. I think this is a, a good um, description of this. The wedding garment represents anything which is indispensable to a Christian, but it's that which an unrenewed heart is not willing to accept. Do you get that? It's what we need. We can't do without it, but an unrenewed heart won't accept it. It it's, means that we have to have this conversion this, where we repent of our sin and we trust the work of Christ. So let me give you a couple of very specifics of what that is. First, it's Christ's righteousness, which is imputed to us. That means that, that it's, in that term imputed is a legal term. That means that where we can't say uh, to the, the, the judge, hey, my, I've earned enough, I've done enough good things. We are in, our, in, our, of, in and of ourselves unrighteous. But Christ, count, his righteousness is credited to or counted to us as righteous. And that comes to us who receive that by grace through faith. Here's another thing as I was thinking about this. It's not based on our character. It's based upon the character of Christ that is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to take a little bunny trail here for just a minute because I'm going to plant a seed of thought that I want some people to just consider. And so especially if you were in the women's study recently, um, um, oh goodness, the book's none greater, thank you, um, dealing with the, the characteristics and, and, and nature of God. One of the things about in that book was a chapter uh, on the simplicity of God. You would think that simplicity is a very simple to- topic, Simplicity is actually a very rich topic, but essentially what it means is when, when we think about the character and qualities of God, we can't like take one away and Him still be there, but it's like you can't just extract them from one another. You have to, they ha- all have to exist, and they always will exist because He's simple, okay? And, and that's, I hope that's a good enough exp- explanation this morning. So let me give you a little piece here. When we think about the fruit of the Spirit, okay, some of y'all have heard me over the years go off on a little bit of a tangent about the, the um, word fruit. The word fruit is singular, okay? God gave us the New Testament in Greek for a reason, and he could have put, inspired the Holy Spirit to put it in plural. It's not. It's in singular. 
So when you think about the fruit, an orange, you have the uh, rind, you have the inside piece of the, the fruit, the, uh, the, the juice, the division pulp seeds, all that stuff, right? But when you say that, you go, it's an orange. And if I take all those things, any of those things out, the truth is, it's not really an orange, right? So when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, there's an aspect of it that ought to reflect the simplicity of God. Now, why do I say that? Because what the, the, the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us in our response in obedience to Him is to reflect all the qualities that represent the fruit of the Spirit. If we're not reflecting all of those, we're not walking and being led consistently or effectively by the Spirit. We ought to have every one of those qualities and characteristics because the fruit of the Spirit cannot be divided. Does that make sense? And I think too many times we look at the fruit and go, well, I got all these things. I'm, I'm in pretty good shape because I got nine of the ten. I don't remember the number, by the way. I'm just saying. Okay, seven of the eight, whatever the number is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Goodness, I missed one. Thank you. Thank you. It's nine. So we can't have eight of the nine and be like, oh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm really doing well at this, or seven of the nine. We need to have the Spirit working in such a way that the simplicity of those, those qualities of who He is reflects the Lord, because that's ultimately what the fruit of the Spirit is. Okay, so sorry for the bunny trail, but I think that's really good. Um, what else does the, the garment consist of? It's the blessings of the covenant, isn't it? When we think about who we are in Christ, it's that faith, hope, and love, the blessings of the covenant, are ours for us to walk out consistently and faithfully. So, the question we ought to ask is, how did this man get in? and Why wasn't he wearing the wedding garment? Well, like I said, I think how he got in was somehow he misrepresented himself, and we'll never know. It's just, it's honestly just speculation on our part. But the, the question is why, I think we can answer, even though it's a little bit more, uh, it's also speculative, I think we can answer that. Um, I think that it, it ultimately is because he was one who desired the things of godliness. He saw the benefit to those other bad and good people that were going to the wedding feast. And he's like, I don't want to miss out. And we all know people like that, don't we? That they come into the church, they, they see the, the things that God is doing in followers of Christ's lives, and they go, I want that. But what they're not willing to give up is their own freedom. Instead of surrendering to Christ, they still want to maintain their own lordship. They don't want to surrender to his lordship, the lordship of Christ. They don't want to honor the, the Father. They still want to maintain their own control and their own sinful rebellion, even though it may be subtle. But they slip in among us. That's why in other parables we have the wheat and the tare and other things like that, right? That, that describe those in the church that are not really of the pure bride. And we need to recognize here that the king comes in and he, he observes this man and how does he uh, respond to the man, first of all? I think this is really interesting. If you look back in verse uh, 12, he says to him, friend. He calls him friend. There's a gentle approach. It's almost as if the king says, look, if you'll just respond, just be honest, just be transparent. Repent right now and say, I, king, I should have put it on. Let me put it on right now. It's like he gives him the opportunity. But because the man responds how? 
says he's speechless. It's, it's almost as, as if we see his hard-heartedness to the king's grace and the king's mercy and the king's kindness and the king's love and, and goodness to him, and he fails to respond. And so in that moment from the gentle, kind king, we see the king, when, he's speech, when this man's speechless, he then becomes what? The judge. Again, this comes back to huge, rich doctrine, but the simplicity of God. He operates in, in all of these categories, and he's always right to operate in these categories, or these characteristics, or these are part of his nature. He does not divorce one from the other. He will be all these things at once. And we see him progress through that. And in that moment, he judges this man, and he's right to judge this man in the way he does, and he sends him out. And it's a warning to all of us that if we don't respond to the message and the hope of the gospel, we are in jeopardy. We're in jeopardy of eternal separation from a great, mighty God who loves us, who is calling us, who is extending an invitation for us to repent and respond to him and his message of grace and love and his heart for us. Isn't this a great parable? I uh, got to this point, I was thinking, you know, there is one thing that we ought to, to recognize this morning, and this, this hymn popped into my mind. And I want to put it in this term. There is only one way to rightly enter, enter into fellowship with the Lord and with the church. What is that one right way? It's by the grace of God. It's by the work that Jesus Christ did. So this hymn, The Solid Rock. I want to just read two verses in the chorus, okay? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Then in verse 4, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Folks, this morning, two, two categories that we fall into. We, we either know Christ or we don't know Christ. We're either depending on a, a false righteousness to be right in, the presence, in His presence, apart from the wedding garment, relying on our own strengths, our own abilities, our own goodness, and that is not enough. We can only be found right because of Christ's imputed righteousness. So we're either apart from Him or we have relied upon Him. But even if we have relied upon him, our tendency is this. We, we tend to make excuses still. We, we tend to walk in ways where we subtly rebel. We don't love his bride well enough. We don't love the king and his son well enough. And I don't know where you are today, but I can assure you of this. Each of us needs to respond to the hope of the gospel. And, and we need to, to take honest stock. And we need to come before the Lord this morning and we're going to do that in just a simple way. We're going to take a minute to pray. And I don't, I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, that you've, you've never surrendered to His Lordship, you've never depended on His work for your salvation, but you've been trying and trying and trying your hardest to earn that, 
can I assure you, we would love to take just a, a couple minutes either today or set up an appointment for later this week just to give you some counsel about what it truly means to be saved. It's not hard, okay? It means this, you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The scriptures tell us then we'll be saved. But you may have more questions, and we want to make sure that you have those questions answered and there's clarity about that. For those of you that are believers today, I would just again ask you, how are you doing in your faithfulness to the Lord? How are you responding in joy to, to his covenant relationship with you, where you're participating in the wedding feast? Is your joy in the great king and his son? Think about this as we're leaning into Easter and his, the celebration that we as his bride get to, to be part of. Are you loving him well? Okay, so let's bow together and pray and just take a minute. Heavenly Father, my, my prayer right now is this, that your spirit would just move in each of us, that you would take the, the message of this parable and your spirit would convince, convince us and convict us where we are falling short. Lord, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that needs to know you personally as their Savior, I pray today that today would be this, the day of their salvation. Lord, for your church, your bride, Lord, you're calling us to love you well to invest well, to, to, to be responsive to your great grace in our lives. Lord, let nothing stand in the way of that. Let our exuberant joy at being invited to the wedding feast be such that we can't help but celebrate the great and mighty King and His Son who is worthy of our honor, as we read in John 5. So, Father, I'm going to be quiet for just a minute and just let you and your people respond Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. Lord, the, the, the scriptures teach us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. What, what amazing grace it is when we think about your perfect plan of, of salvation, how Christ fulfilled that to perfection, and, and how you have given us the Holy Spirit to be a, a, a following witness, to be the one who guarantees our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Lord, all of that is to the praise of your glory. Lord, if any of us this morning are, are not really satisfied with where we are, Lord, I, I just pray that, that the minute of time to, to be with you in that prayer, to repent, to, to renew commitment, maybe for the first time to surrender to you, Lord, whatever it was that, that will shape us from here forward, Lord, that we look back today, leaning into this Easter week in 2022, 
um, Lord, that we would um, be so convinced and so convicted and so thankful that our lives would just be walked out and lived out in, in the transformative power of Christ in us. So, Father, we, we say thank you this morning for the worship. We thank you for the, the time and the word. Lord, um, as we go through this week now, we just pray that our lives would be honoring to you in all things. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say thank you again for being here to worship at the Grove Church, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, there'll be several people out front. We might uh, just try to get to know you a little bit before you exit. Um, we want to remind you as you leave this week that we, uh, though we may not be in service anymore, you have a responsibility to go out and do ministry, and that's by connecting in communities and changing lives by sharing the love and good news of Jesus Christ with others. So have a blessed Sunday afternoon. Um, this week, I would remind parents of youth and students that we do have Wednesday night service starting at 6.30, okay? So it kicks off our, our study on uh, praying like Jesus. Okay, so that's going to be a, a tremendous time in the Word and, and focusing on the, the practicality and purpose of prayer. So pray for the students and those leading, and uh, we just look forward to seeing you guys this Wednesday. Have a blessed Sunday afternoon.